But I really thought about that moment in time where I thought, wow, how many times do we deal with rejection and we make it all about us? Right. Wow. Am I not pretty enough? Am I not smart enough? Am I not funny enough? And we come up with all of these reasons and we go down this rabbit hole and it really has nothing to do with us. You've gotten great at divine working, but what about divine living? Welcome to the Divine Living Podcast. I'm your host, Gina DeVee. You're not alone in wanting more. And here at the Divine Living Podcast, you can expect to be part of conversations from women like us who unapologetically dream big and are obsessed with manifesting our most fabulous lives. The conversation starts now. Ladies, Faith Jenkins is in the house for the Divine Living Podcast today. I have been waiting for this day for so, so long. And Faith, it is such a joy and honor to be here in your presence. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so looking forward to talking to you. I've been looking forward to this for a long time too. Great to be here. Well, well, well. Well, we have a couple things in common. One is our beloved editor, Krishan Trotman. Um, Ladies, for those of you that love my book, Audacity to Be Queen, and you all know Krishan, she is the one who connected me and Faith Jenkins on Faith's brand new book, Sis Don't Settle. We'll be diving in deep to this and lots of cool things. Um, But when I saw you on Krishan's store, I was like, she has got to be on the Divine Living Podcast. So it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So we're going to get into all things relationship stuff, which we don't necessarily do a whole bunch in uh, Divine Living. But I got to tell you, ladies, we're in the midst of a woman who may have one of the most fascinating career trajectories that I have interviewed yet. So Faith. You have such a long history from uh, law school, Manhattan uh, DA department, um, you know, moving into television. I'm so curious. Did you, when you were in law school, know that you were just bound for all of this TV success? Well, when I was in law school, I actually won the title of Miss Louisiana after my first year of law school. And I took a year off from school to travel, fulfill the title, go and compete at Miss America. And that was sort of my first dip into a television, public speaking, and everything connected to it, doing a lot of interviews. So I knew that I was attracted to uh, being a part of the media, but I also had this real dedication to the law. I just knew that I wanted to be in a field where I felt like I could help people. Mm-hmm. And um, now, initially, when I took my first job out of law school, I went to a I was recruited by a big New York law firm. And people told me, so everyone gives you advice when you're excited. I did go sure. back to school after my year and finish my last two years of school. So everyone's giving me advice. And some people were like, you should move to L.A. or you should do this. Or why are you going back to school? Well, A, I had all the scholarship money. That mm-hmm. I want to America, like eighty thousand dollars in scholarships, and I, and if I didn't use it, I would lose it. Mm-hmm. So I went back to school because it was paid for, and it was really my drive and passion for competing in the pageants was to get money for school. So I finished. I took my first job out of school. It was at a firm, and people told me take the best job you can get because you can always move around and do other things. Well, the best job on paper 
was not fulfilling for me personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I went to the big firm, I worked the corporate hours, I would spend the night in my office, I would work you know, without a day off for months at a time. But on paper, I was working for one of the top law firms in the world. Mm-hmm. Personally, mm-hmm. it wasn't fulfilling. And that's why I left, took a huge pay cut, 70% pay cut, and then went to work for the government um, as a prosecutor and working with victims and crime, crime victims. How similar is it to Law and Order at SVU? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's pretty fascinating. I, I did see them filming quite a bit while I was uh, there at the office, but uh, they, they saw their cases in an hour. It takes us uh, several months uh, at a time, but I thought they, I thought, I think that show does a good job of capturing, I think, the essence of what a lot of prosecutors and uh, law enforcement deal with. It's such, such heavy work, you know, the, the emotional like piece of being on that front row seat into people's lives and some of their like scariest times and most traumatic moments. Mm-hmm. And what a huge heart you have that that was just where you were led. You wanted to go and help and serve. I just got to dial this back though for a minute. I, I, cause I, I knew that you went to law school and I knew about Miss Louisiana, but I didn't realize it was the same year. Most people can't even handle like taking a shower and going to first year law school at the same time. And you were off winning a pageant. What was going on in your head that didn't, you know, so many women go into overwhelm over so many things. And you're like, I can do law school and win a pageant. What was going on there? What's this mindset? Well, it was my third year competing for the title of Miss Louisiana, so I'd done it twice before. And that year the pageant was in the summer. So I'd finished my first year when the competition actually happened. But I will tell you my first year, I completely dedicated it to school. I had to just release um, just this notion that I had to spend so many hours preparing that year because I could not do it. Mm -hmm. I really did have to spend all of my time, my waking hours studying. And I did. Um, So when I went to the pageant that year, I remember just having the mindset of you're already prepared. You've done this twice before. You have the foundation. I did well in school and I led with that, that that was my priority that year. And I just went in and did my best. And that's the year that I won. I love it. I love it so much. Um, How much of your faith did, um, how much did faith play a role in you being that open for that level of abundance? Uh, It was everything. And I was very fortunate to uh, have a mom who just planted a seed into my life very early on in college. A lot of times all it takes is one person who believes in you and says something positive to you when you don't even believe in yourself. I mean, I was Mm -hmm. 20 years old, um, grew up, didn't have any money to compete in pageants. We were trying to pull it together, but I knew that this was a way for me to pay for school. The first one I won paid my full tuition for that year of college. So um, I knew it was an avenue and a means for for me to fund my education. And I just remember, because people were telling me, you're competing for your school title, it was Miss Louisiana Tech at the time. People told me, you're, you're not gonna win, but you go out there and you have fun. <laughs> because there was, you know, uh, there were 
other young ladies who this is what they did. I mean, I'm in Louisiana, so it's like, you know, in, 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 church, in the uh, <laughs> culture. And uh, I just remember my mom telling me not to listen to anyone else and to believe in myself and just do my best. And she gave me a book. I mean, I was 20 years old and I was reading a book called Live Your Dreams by Les Brown. And in that book, I mean, it changed my entire perspective at 20 years old. He said, I want you to take out a note card and I want you to write this scripture on the front of this note card. And it was ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find. Um, and I, re I think it was Matthew 7, 7. I wrote the scripture down. He said on the back of the card, I want you to write what your dream is. And I want you to and read it three times every day. So I was 20 years old in college with this note card, reading it three times a day. I have the and chills on Everything that. I wrote on the back of that card came to fruition in my life. Wow. What else was on that card? I wanted to graduate top of my class from law school. That happened. Um, I wanted to uh, compete and win Miss Louisiana Tech. That happened. I wanted to win Miss Louisiana. That happened. It did not happen in the time frame that I put on the card. Mm -hmm. It happened, but it happened in the right time. Mm, mm, mm. Was uh, getting married on that card? It was not. Probably <laughs> <laughs> why it took me a while to, to get married. <laughs> oh, the less prom stuff does work. I guess we should apply. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love that. I mean, yeah, because other people in in their thinking, I think especially for women, it's like, well, if you're if you're gonna pay for college, like, well, I can wait tables. I could join the military. You're like, I'm gonna go win a pageant. Like, it's. Did you believe you were gonna win? I, um, I wasn't sure when I signed up, uh, I just knew that I could, that I could compete well. Um, you know, it was really interesting because it was at that point in my life where I really learned the value of you're, you're going to have a chorus of voices in your life telling you what you can, what you can't do and all these other opinions, but really the most important one has to come from you. Mm. And mm. when I went in to compete, I just remembered thinking, um, th there are only two people that actually think I can do this. And that's me and my mom. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> and so apparently we, God. <laughs> and, and, and God. And, um, and I just remember just manifesting this faith from somewhere because initially I don't think I had it, mm. but I had to, that was a part of the process though, for me going through that process, you know, how uh, we talk about setting goals and it's never about the end goal. It's about who you become in the process. The process. That mm -hmm. process was the process that de developed the faith that's carried me throughout the course of my career, because it was the first time in my life that I had really stepped out of my comfort zone to do something completely foreign to me. But then I also saw my success simply because I decided to reshape my perspective and my mindset about it. So beautiful. My mom always taught me you and God are a majority. And I think this is a perfect example of exactly that. All right, so we can go back to the Manhattan DA's office. So how did you go from that to this amazing television career you have manifested? So I started working in the Manhattan DA's office and I remember when I got that job, my boss told me, the person who hired me, um, longtime DA Robert Morgenthau, 
he told me you have one job and one job only when we hire you and that is to do justice this is not about winning a bunch of trials Mm -hmm. and having a bunch of notches on your belt this is not about how many people you can help arrest and put away this is about doing what's right Mm -hmm. and we want your compassion we want your conviction and we want your character to all play into the decisions you make in the power that you have. Prosecutor's job is a very powerful position. Mm-hmm. And um, I just went into that position, um, not only just being very compassionate towards my victims, but also the greater good of the community. Everything he told me, that's what I did with that job. Because I know a lot of attorneys, a lot of prosecutors get really bad raps and people would say, well, how could you possibly go into a job where you're locking up people? Well, um, there was, there was a balance because there was a understanding and perspective that I had of people in my community that someone else may not have. And it was really important to have a diversity of perspectives represented in that office. Mm-hmm. Because what I do with the case would not be the same as what one of my colleagues would do with the same case because they have a completely different experience and perspective as to what they're applying to it. Mm-hmm. It was incredibly important to have me in this office, in this position, um, a lot of people want to be activists, but you you all you have to have a seat at the table as well as be a part of the change that you want to see. Mm-hmm. So in my so that was the the it was a, a defining time for my career because it was extremely fulfilling. And after I left the DA's office, I um, got a call to do some legal analyst work for a high profile case on TV. And people just wanted me to come on and have an opinion, again, as a former prosecutor. And that's how it happened. The George Zimmerman trial happened in Florida, and I was called every day to give an opinion on that case. And I would be on Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC all in the same day. Because my job was not to be political about the case. My job was to talk about the law and apply Mm -hmm. the law to what I would see happening. So I could go on all the networks, give an opinion, give an objective opinion, and that's what I did. And so after that, people, um, the executive producer of my first court show said he saw me one night with Bill O'Reilly. The next night he saw me on with Al Sharpton. And he said, if she could go before those two <laughs> and, and And the people of those two audiences embrace her, she'd be great for, for daytime TV. Amazing. Did you pitch yourself for those segments or did they come find you? How did it get started in the first place? I um, really thinking back to how it really got started. I reached out to Gretchen Carlson. Now, Gretchen Carlson was at Fox News. Um, She was at Fox and Friends at the time, but she was also a former Miss America. So we connected, I sent her an email and I said, Hey, I'm interested in doing some legal analyst work. If you ever need anybody, I'll be available. And she brought me in, introduced me. And I just did a couple of online segments, legal topics, online segments. And then what happened is people saw me doing those segments and started calling me to do all these other shows. I love it. I love it. I love it. Ladies take a note in this. I think that there's so many women sitting back just waiting to get the call, waiting to get the invitation or or taking themselves out of the game. And, you know, you have 
whatever desires you have in your heart, go put yourself out there, make that call, you know, let yourself be visible. Ah, it's, you know, I think that life just gets so much more profound and it can be a lot simpler than we make it in the stories that we tell ourselves in our head. Um, Speaking of then, well, let's see. Where should we go? The stories that we tell in our head. Let's let's delve into uh, some of the content of the book, shall we? And then we'll we'll finish up with where you're at with your new TV shows and all that good stuff. There, this book, I gotta tell you, Faith, your your writing style is just it's because you're just gonna get sucked in. So like, do not pick up this book if you don't have time to actually read it in like chunks. Your I feel like it was watching a movie. I mean, like, do you have, is this going to be like the next Sex in the City, Emily in Paris, like <laughs> Netflix series, because you are hilarious. Um, <laughs> you are soulful. You are so vulnerable. And the stories are, I mean, my heart ached, but like I was cringing at some of them. I was like, she didn't go to the conference and chase the guy in Washington. <laughs> like she'd like, I mean, I think about going, I get that, but like you went, I mean, so you're gonna have to get the book to like read these hysterical stories, but, um, but well, I'll let you share. Why, why did you write this book, System So? Well, I dated for 20 years before I met my husband. And I moved from Louisiana to New York. So I started really dating when I moved to to New York City. Mm -hmm. And um, I just thought, wow, I'm moving to New York. I have this big job. I have my apartment on the Upper East Side. Obviously, it's time for me to meet my husband. Like, that's Mm -hmm. the the next part of this. And uh, it did not happen in that time frame. It did not happen for many years. And so... When I did, and and what really evolved during those years of dating is I, um, people started to ask me why I wasn't married because I started having this uh, career in TV and people would uh, uh, see me doing all these things. So I had the pageant background. I had this education. I had this career in TV and they would say, well, we don't understand. Why aren't you married? Now, I had never told anyone I wanted to be. First of all, so it could have been a personal choice, but people just assumed that it wasn't. But it became something that I really had to sit back and think, well, is being single something I need to explain to people? Is this something that I need to defend? But if you're not careful, it can become something that you become self-conscious about mm. or something that you become embarrassed about because people are asking it almost as a, a judgment against you as to, well, what's wrong? So, um, and so there was this notion that, well, am I supposed to just pick someone? Am I supposed to just settle and say, okay, well, it's time because Mm -hmm. obviously on this timeline, people are giving me for my life. So is it time for me to, and I didn't want to do that. And also there were lessons for me to learn Mm -hmm. all that. I have so many stories in the book because I dated a lot. Oh my God. Yeah, I have to know, have any of them contacted you when they saw their story in the book? No, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, it's just, or have they, they haven't contacted you, seen you on TV or any of it? I have changed those names and I have, you know, I did everything I could to, to not 
you know, make anything particularly identifiable because I thought mm, I might get an email about this. I wanted to put all of those stories in there so people could understand the process and the procedure because you're going to go through this process. But the key for me was learning from all of those experiences because I didn't have this huge standard of love in my life growing up. I really did not know how to do relationships and I did not know how to be successful at them. But every one that I had, I started learning from them. Okay, well, what did you learn from this? What worked for you here? What did not work for you? What are the things that you like? What are the things that you are not willing to compromise on? And Mm -hmm. so as time went on, I got to know myself better. I became a better person through the process. And, but I also, uh, it became easier for me to identify what would work for me in partnering with another person. So the book is all of these stories, but it really is about how to navigate love and relationships to get to the result that you want. And if it's marriage, so be it. If it's an amazing companion, so be it. But I talk about all of those steps and the things that really worked for me. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, when you're dating that much, you go through a lot of rejection. So, Mm -hmm. and I have um, a number of beautiful, gorgeous, smart, successful, single girlfriends over the age of 30. Um, and, you know, dealing with different levels and layers of rejection, what advice do you have for someone who has either a bruised heart? I got one, one's got a bruised heart. One's just like, I'm done. And she's not even 50. <laughs> like, she's just like, I'm, I'm complete with all this heartache. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've got another one who's just like, um, just so in her masculine energy, like, I don't think a man could get to her if he wanted to. What, what, what advice do you have for these women who have gone through all this rejection? That's, that's a big one. That's probably my favorite chapter in the book, actually, because I learned so much from dealing with rejection. One really important short story I want to share with you. I was in college and I did not have a boyfriend. I wasn't really dating, but we had this annual black tie event that the school would have every year. And it was like our prom. Um, so I decided I didn't want to go alone that year. And so I was going to ask the, the cutest guy at, at my school to go with me as my date. Not a big deal. Not asking him to date me, but just go to this event with me. We were always very friendly. I'd never seen him with another girl. So I assumed he was single and it was fine. So I went over to him one day in the student union and I asked him, I said, hey, Roy, uh, this Friday night is our big school event. And would you mind going with me to the event? I think it'd be fun. I think we'd have a great time. And he paused. He hesitated. He looked at me and he said, no. He said, I I can't go to the event with you. I'm sorry, um, but, you know, have a good time and um, have fun. And I was like, wow, okay. He was very direct, very short, but he, he was like, no, I can't go. Um, so I remember my feelings being hurt and just kind of embarrassed and avoiding him for the rest of the semester. But I went to the, I went to the event anyway by myself and I kind of forgot about it. Five years later, I'm back in my college town and I go into a store and Roy is inside of the store. 
he calls me over and he said, Faith, uh, can I talk to you for a second? I was like, sure. So good to see you, all these things. And he said, do you remember several years ago? Because we both graduated from college by then. He said, do you remember several years ago when you asked me to that school event? And I'd kind of forgotten, but as he talked to me about it further, I started remembering. He said, um, and I, he said, I told you no, that I wouldn't go with you. He said, well, I really want you to know what, what was happening. I liked you. I wanted to go with you, but he said, I did not have a suit. I did not have anything to wear. And I was too embarrassed to tell you that I didn't have anything to wear. Oh my goodness. And I was like, wow. He remembered that event so vividly. I had kind of forgotten about it, but he never forgot. But I really thought about that moment in time where I thought, wow, how many times do we deal with rejection and we make it all about us? Right. Wow. Am I not pretty enough? Am I not smart enough? Am I not funny enough? And we come up with all of these reasons and we go down this rabbit hole and it really has nothing to do with us. Mm-hmm. Now, if I never run into him and I created a story in my mind right. about how inadequate I was and how that's, that's obviously the reason he didn't want to go to casino night with me. He didn't want to go to this event with me. And the real reason was he simply did not have something to wear. It had nothing to do with me. So I learned from that to stop re- taking rejection so personal. Because yes. oftentimes it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with somebody else's a perspective, what they have going on in their life, how they have been raised, mm-hmm. how they have learned to deal with love, not deal with love, all of these things that have nothing to do with how great you are. You can be the total package and at the wrong address. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, all right. How about some advice for the women? Um it always amazes me. So we're, you know, in the entrepreneurial space and we're good with manifesting and we know our thoughts be creating a reality. And most of us have like read the same books and gone to the same seminars. And we know that what we tell ourselves is what our life becomes. Mm-hmm. And they'll do that with career and they'll become successful and they'll make their money and build their brands and the whole thing. And these same women that I go to brunch with will then sit there and talk about how hard it is to find someone you've got chemistry with. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you don't, you know, that if you say that about, oh, it's hard to find clients, that that's what you're going to create more of. So mm-hmm. how do women get rid of these low level limiting beliefs about love for them? Yeah. And that was me. I had to go through that process and do that work in order for me to go to the next level. When I met my husband, I'd actually gone through a breakup six months prior to me meeting him. And I really had to have an honest conversation with God. A, I had to release some of these trash unconscious beliefs that I thought about men. Because I knew that it was becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy in my own life. Mm-hmm. All those perspectives and what I talked about, writing the note card about what I wanted to see happen in my career. I never did those things in my love life. Only mm-hmm. for business, only for work. So when I went through a breakup six months before I met my husband, I took out a sheet of paper and I wrote down on that sheet of paper. I said, you know what? I'm going to be honest. This is what I want. And I'm going to write it down. And I I wrote down on a piece of paper, which I put a photocopy of it in the book because I wanted people to see how I kept it. I still have Mm -hmm. it. I wrote down that I was going to meet my husband within the next year and that these are the 
I was ready for that. Um, I went through this breakup and I said, I'm not going to resist what's happening. I'm going to radically accept the end to this relationship. The end to this relationship, I had to separate my feelings from the facts. Were my feelings hurt? Yes. But the fact was, I said, this is opening the door for me to meet my husband. This is opening the door. This is clearing out space. Yes. And I'm not going to hang on to the wrong relationship and try to choose history over my happiness. Mm -hmm. And what happened is I took that sheet of paper. I wrote it down. And Gina, I wasn't out like looking every day like, oh, is that him? You know, walking down the street, (laughs) doing that whole thing. I wasn't doing that. I was just open. I was open. And six months later, I decided, and this was another really important point. I decided I was going to go back and start taking voice lessons again. I hadn't been singing since the pageants. I was like, what do I love to do? What's something fun, something interesting? Um, I have time that I love to do. I went back, started taking lessons. I wrote a music producer that I'd met a few years earlier and I said, hey, can you help me? I decided I was gonna release a Christmas single for the holidays. (laughs) Again, big thinking is just so impressive. Keep going. So, so I went and I met with this music producer and he said, as he sat down with me, he saw me taking my notes and writing things down. He he knew in that moment, he said, I want to introduce her to Kenny Lattimore, one of his good friends of 15 years. I had no idea. We left that. That was, he was thinking we, we left the meeting. And the next thing I know, I got a call from him a week later asking me if I would be open to meeting a good friend of his who he respected. And And he he didn't tell you his name. Not at that time, not at that time. And I was like, listen, listen, I've had my share of blind dates. You'll read about them, as you know, I put them in the book. I've had my share of blind dates. I was not, you know, uh, so um, enthused, but I said, well, who is it? And and, and then he told me, and I knew who he was. I knew who Kenny was, I knew his music. Uh Um, And the rest is history. We went out to lunch and I had to once again release what I thought about R&B singers who travel and tour and have women as fans and all of these things because Kenny was nothing like what I thought I was going to be dealing with in terms of a man in that career and profession. You want to share a little bit what that lunch was like? How long was that lunch? It was two hours. (laughs) You know, at that point I'm doing my due diligence. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I was, I was, I was done with dating and Mm -hmm. I had a conversation with God. I said, okay, God, I don't want to date the next. I want to date my husband Mm -hmm. because I've learned all these lessons and I've applied all of these lessons now. Don't you think it's time, God? Don't you think it's time? That's, that's the conversation that I had. And uh, we went out to lunch. It was a two hour lunch and the rest, as they say, is history. And it was worth the wait. It was worth the wait. We have been married for two years now. It'll be two years in just a few weeks. And we've gone through the pandemic together. We've gone through, because it's easy to treat people really well when things are going great. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to know the character of a person, how do they treat you when you're going through adversity? So we've had, you know, gone through the pandemic and and having to take all of this time away from work and, and our worlds being shaken during this time mm-hmm. period. I... Um, I, I love everything about how my husband has been just the biggest supporter and the biggest voice of reason and the biggest encourager. And uh, it's just been, and I think back now to all of those stories. This is why I wrote the book. 
Mm. I think back to all the stories, everything I went through, but I did not give up. I got married at 42 years old. I did not give up. I did not lose hope. Um, I did not allow all of those past experiences to poison my perspective mm. and, and operate in fear when mm -hmm. I was dating. And I opened myself up to receive the love that I wanted. And that's what I got. Ah. Yes, yes, Queen, yes. So from the time you made the decision and wrote out your, basically your non-negotiables, how long did it take for you to meet Kenny? I wrote that piece of paper um, on September 21st of that year, and I met Kenny six months later, and we got engaged six months after that. You want to talk about that engagement? Everyone well, loves a good engagement story, but this is really special. Well, we were, um, I lived in New York, as you know, most of my career mm -hmm. and uh, working in the DA's office. And we were, you know, I'm not a, I'm a trained investigator. So you really can't surprise me <laughs> that well. So I was just not expecting to be surprised with an engagement because I thought I'll see something. I'll have some hints, some clues, something. And uh, he managed to surprise me, believe it or not. So we were in Central Park. We were just taking some photos because I, it was my idea. I was like, we don't have enough pictures together. Can we just take some since we're in New York? I was, I was in LA at the time. Like he professional lives in photos. Yes. Mm -hmm. I said, so let's just have, um, let's, let's take some photos in the park so we can have some more photos of each other because for some reason we didn't have a lot together, I mean. So we were doing that. And because I had planned this shoot and it was my idea, <laughs> he then went like full speed ahead and got the ring, flew one of his friends into the city that I didn't know because people would come up to us. You know how New York is. People would come up to us during the shoot and say, oh, my God, you guys are such, such a cute couple. And, you know, you, I love your dress, things like that. And this one guy comes up and he said, I've been watching you, the two of you with this shoot. This is something that my wife and I should do. He said, but I'm just a big believer in love and relationships. And do you mind if I just, he had a Bible in his hand. He said, do you mind if I just pray with the two of you and, and wish you well? So now I'm in Central Park and I love Jesus and all of these things, but this is a stranger who wants to do a prayer circle. And I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> I'm going to have to be, you know, one eye open with his prayer circle. But so I'm Kenny for a clue. And, and he's like all about it. So we do this prayer circle. Um, and then at the end of the prayer, Kenny looks at me and he said something like, this is such a beautiful day and, and such a beautiful moment. He said, I, he said something about he wished that he'd had the ring or something like that at that time. And then this, this, this stranger who I thought was a stranger pulls out a box and hands the box to Kenny. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? And that's when I knew. That's when I knew. Total surprise. Total surprise. Total surprise. He yeah. did it. He did yeah. it. He did it. And um, ladies, you'll have to go on her website. And I have never seen a wedding video or a, an entrance like this one your style the love the all of it is just it was literally like watching a movie it was oh, thank you so 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 gorgeous all right so we'll round this out then so um we go from where did, where did we leave off with your career because now or doing the tv segments but now you go from getting your own now you go to getting your own show let's talk about that for a second so i um i was 
hired after I finished the legal analyst work, I was hired to be a uh, judge on TV, just like a Judge Judy type show and uh, did that for a few years. That show was canceled at some point. Um, went through that whole process of having a, a show be canceled. Uh, then I went to another TV show called Divorce Court. You may have heard of it. Um, it's been on a long time. Longest running. Uh, yeah. yeah. Court show. And then this will be my last season on Divorce Court because I decided it was time for me to go in a different direction creatively. Mm-hmm. I started my own company, my own production company. And um, I am executive producing and hosting a new TV show. It's a true crime show on Oxygen called Killer Relationship. And the woman really, who's all about love. Yeah, I know. I know. What a title, right? But it really does. I'm always about, you know, identifying these red flags. And of course, I have a criminal prosecutor history and working in family court in New York. I just pulled everything together for this show. And uh, all the stories are, are true as, you know, like true crime genres go. But, you know, it's just really interesting because I, I do think it's important to share some of these stories where people are living their lives and there are all of these signs and red flags and, and these things that people tend to look over or, you know, look the other way or try to justify or, well, this person's going to change and all these things. And, you know, people don't change for you. They change for them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I really tried to look for stories that were really compelling and could not only uh, just share about the, the people who were uh, victimized, but also uh, be a source of education. Well, and it's, is it out or is it coming out? It premiered two weeks ago. Uh, 7 p.m. on Oxygen. This past Sunday, it was the highest rated show on Oxygen in its second episode. Congratulations. Congratulations. Well, so much to be celebrating and looking out. Everyone go get Faith Jenkins' book. We'll have all the links in the show notes, but Faith, tell everyone where they can get the book and find you. It's everywhere books are sold. Mm-hmm. So go to your favorite independent bookstore and check out a copy, go online. And uh, and I'm on all the social media sites, except for TikTok. I haven't, are you on TikTok? Did you, did you? Uh, I think there was like, there's, we, I did it for, I dabbled. So no, I'm okay. more of an Instagram girl. Okay. I'm, I'm Instagram to uh, judge Faith Jenkins on Instagram and I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter, all those things. I have not yet delved into the world of TikTok. Um, but yeah, you can find me there and let me know what you think about the book. I love hearing from people and I hear from women as, as I'm sure you do all the time with your great book. And we love hearing the feedback. It's so, it's so great. Gratifying. Yes, yes, yes. So I want you to take a screenshot of this episode and tag us, uh, get Faith's book. Tell us what you got your favorite part of this podcast episode, DM us. We love to be in connection and really be of service to all of you. So thank you so much for listening. And Faith, thank you for your faith journey. I just think that you're big thinking and you're just continuing to be of service and up-level your life is so inspiring. And um, I know it's been such a blessing to me already. And I know so many that are going to listen as well. Thank you so much, Sheena. My pleasure. All right, Queen, did you love this episode and know someone who would love it too? 
I would love for you to leave a review on iTunes and share this podcast over Instagram. Tag me at Gina DeVee. And thank you for Queens supporting Queens and for your continued support. 